0: Welcome. Uh, my name is Eric, and you may be wondering hey, you're NBC Arlington, you're meeting at Tyson's. Well, right now we're meeting here, preparing for a launch into our new uh, facility that is coming soon. Uh, but one brief announcement related to that is September 12th, which is not next week, uh, but the week after, we are going to. Um, Um, begin once again weekly services and so starting on september 12th yes we're gonna meet at 5 p.m here every single week amen i got some claps in the back until we um until we launch into our new location um in arlington and during that time we're gonna prepare for our launch in a number of ways which leads me to my next announcement And so as we launch into the city, we know that we're going to have a lot of people who come with us, who were here before, but we're going to have a lot of new people. And a lot of this is because COVID, man, has sent us indoors, has sent us into places where we're very much alone or with a small group of people. And we want to be prepared as a church in order to receive people who are desperate for community, and to show them that true community is only found in a people united by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so in order to do that, we wanna be ready for that. And so we are praying right now uh, for a launch team. So when we launch to our new location, we're praying for a launch team of 200 people. And when I say 200 people, I don't mean 200 people who come and sit in the seats and leave after the service. We're talking about 200 people who are here and committed and ready to serve in the a variety of ministries that we need in order to be hospitable within the life of the church. Got some hand claps here. Uh, one of the ministries um, that um, we really need help in, and you may leave this ministry and you're like, "I'm not gifted here. I want to encourage you to uh, consider giving in a try. And that is our children's ministry. Now right now we have about 15 we got some people who serve here every week in the children's ministry. And right now we got about 15 volunteers total. And right now we are looking for over a hundred volunteers. And so we want a cadre of volunteers so that we are ready to serve each week. So people don't feel like they have to serve week in and week out. You may think I'm not good with kids. Listen, I'm not good with adults. (laughs) But here we are. And, And working with kids is a reminder that kids need discipleship as well. And God has brought kids our way, and he's, he's provided us with the means to care for them. And so I want to encourage you to serve. I want to encourage you to sign up. And we have a number of different areas as well. We have our hospitality team and our worship team and our tech team in the back. If you are interested in serving in any of these ways and serving on our launch team, I want you to go to mcleanbiblechurchorg slash serve, join our launch team, and uh, sign up for one of the areas under the Arlington campus. We would love Uh, to have you there. Uh, So tonight, we are finishing a long journey, a journey that started before COVID. Uh, We are finishing the book of 1 Corinthians. We are in chapter 16, and near the closing of this book, uh, Paul gives some encouragement uh, to the church in Corinth, and I want to give it to you now. We're gonna focus on two verses in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, We're gonna be in verses 13 and 14. And so here it is. I'm gonna read it to you. Feel free to turn to your Bible so that you can follow along with me while I'm preaching. Here it is. Paul tells the church of Corinth, he says, be watchful. He says, Stan, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's take a good moment to pray. Father, how we need you. We kid ourselves in thinking that we can do anything of eternal value outside of your help. There's nothing that happened to us and nothing that we have done that has not happened apart from your sovereign care. Will you remind us of that? Will you remind us of the fact that the fact that we are living and breathing right now is because of the word of your power and the very fact that many of us can call ourselves sons and daughters of yours it's because you breathe life into us through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything without you, so teach us to abide in you. Father, we need your word right now. Many of us don't feel like we need it. Many of us feel like we can go along well in life without being among the company of saints, without being in your word each and every single day, but oh, how we need you. Will you make us aware of our need today? May we hear you clearly, and may we be empowered to follow you in this world. We need you. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen, amen. amen. Hey, guys, in my teenage years, one of my favorite shows uh, was uh, the Cosby Show. Um, And there's been so much controversy about the patriarch, uh, Bill Cosby, of that show. But when I was a teenager, I loved that show, and let me tell you why. that show put in me a deep sense of longing. See, that show was set in uh, Chicago, I believe, that the show chronicled a black middle-class family in which uh, the dad was a doctor, the mom was a lawyer, and they had plenty of time to be at home and dispense uh, motherly and fatherly advice to their children. I didn't realize how unrealistic that show was. Uh, I, just, I just knew in the depths of my soul that I, I longed for that. It seemed like each of the kids within that show felt like they were loved and valued in and, and, and unique ways. And that was a time in my life in which um, I was living with my mom. My, my dad wasn't in the picture at the moment. Mom was working hard to provide for my brother and me working her tail off. She was working so hard, dog tired when she got home. Dad's not around, and I'm looking at the TV at this family, and I'm thinking, that's the family that I want. Didn't know how unrealistic it was, but I knew that the lives of the people on the screen in front of me created a deep sense of longing within me. I saw a family that looked different than mine, and I wanted that so badly. I say all of that to say is right now we are finishing the book of 1 Corinthians God, in this book, sent Paul, saved Paul, and sent Paul to an affluent and crazy town called Corinth in order to preach the gospel. The people believed the gospel. And the church, also known as the family of God, was born. And God put that family in that city, specifically, in order to be a breathing, living reflection of his power and love. You see, like the display of the Cosby show in my house created a deep sense of longing within me. The family of God in the, in the, in the city of Corinth was, was placed there to create a deep sense of longing in the people of the city there in order for them to come and to know Jesus Christ. You see, the crazy thing about my life is no matter how hard I tried, I could not become a Cosby. But the beautiful thing is for those in Corinth who saw the beautiful living, breathing picture of the gospel, there was a way for them to become a Christian. You see, anyone who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus for their salvation can be a part of his family. However, when it came to presenting this beautiful picture of the gospel through word and deed in the church of Corinth, the church of Corinth, when it it came time to give them a grade, they were not doing well. You see, Jesus had called them to live differently because Jesus is Lord. However, they were still in the city of Corinth. And listen, Corinth was not Mayberry. Corinth was a wild and crazy town and the church was experiencing some tension. How are they supposed to be in the world and not of the world? The church of Corinth didn't handle this tension well and what we saw in the church of Corinth was too often what we see in the church today It said too much of the culture of Corinth was getting into the church rather than vice versa. You see, instead of the church reaching the city, the city was reaching the church. And this letter helps us to address a question. As we prepare, as citizens of the city of Arlington and the surrounding regions, the question that we should have is how should we engage the culture of our city? How do we As a people who are in our city and not of our city, we as the people who live and work and play and live near Arlington, how we know the culture of our city and our addiction to work and status and even how the popular mantra of follow your heart has taken hold and demonstrated itself, especially in our city in ways that we think about sex and dating and career and family. Listen, as the people of God, we are called to live in our city in ways that adorn the beautiful message of the gospel that we profess. That we are called to be a city within the city, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God while we're citizens of the city of Arlington so that they might see the beautiful life that the gospel creates so that they can find themselves under the loving rule of God. That is what we're supposed to represent. And here's the thing, like Corinth, We can't reach Arlington when our lives are indistinguishable from Arlington. And as Paul closes out this letter in verses 13 and 14, he gives four quick exhortations. These are things that he wants to remind Corinth as he closes this letter. You see, in verses 5 through 12, he talks about these travel plans that he has and and which missionary is coming to see them. But in verse 13 and 14, it's almost as if he wants to give a quick shorthand summary of all that he's been encouraging them to do in the book of, 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 of 1 Corinthians. It feels like when I was a kid at school and I was acting a fool in school, and my mom would have all these long talks with how I should not act a fool in school, right? And she would give me all these reasons why I shouldn't and threaten me with a whooping. As well, and I remember after all those talks, she would drop me off at school. And right before I would get out the car, she would she right before she pulled off, she would look back at me and she would say, Remember, boy, don't act the fool today. See, those parting words were shorthand for all those serious talks that I had with her. And Paul is closing this letter, and he's about to pull off, so to speak. And it feels like he's shorthanding all that he wants to church in Corinth to get as he's encouraging them to live for Jesus in a culture that isn't. And this is the shorthand that the Holy Spirit, through the hand of the Apostle Paul, wants to address us as NBC Arlington with today. And so I want to give you guys four encouragements as we prepare to move back to the city of Arlington from this last chapter of 1 Corinthians. And so we'll talk more about this on the 12th, but let me give you number one right here. So number one, right before the test, none of these are incredibly creative, and I don't mean to be. I want to just give you the word of God. so here it is. Here's the point. NBC Arlington, be watchful. Be watchful. What do I mean by that? Let me give you a story. Uh, Michael Fagan was a trespasser, but he didn't just trespass in any place. This dude trespassed Buckingham Palace. It's crazy how far he got within the palace. He climbed over an outer wall, he entered the palace, he tripped an alarm, but the police thought the alarm was faulty and they silenced it. He made his way all the way to the queen's bedroom and sat at the edge of the bed with her still in it. See, what's so interesting about that story, with all the appearances of Buckingham Palace, I actually went there before. It's huge, it has large walls. That actually meant nothing in the scheme of things with Michael Fagan because people in it weren't watchful. And why I bring that up, is because Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to be watchful because they've shown that they haven't been. You see, in the church, they've proven to be more shaped by the culture around them than the God that they claim to worship. And we see this in a number of different places. We see this in chapter 6, when the church of Corinth were so quick to address division by suing one another in court than by pursuing reconciliation in the church. Later in chapter 6, it seems that some in the church of Corinth, they were claiming to follow Jesus, but they were still visiting temple prostitutes, a common practice during the time. First Corinthians 9, we see some people in the church of Corinth, um, um, uh, we see public, some people in the church of Corinth participating in pagan culted meals at the temple. And it's so interesting, even in this text, is this. It's that the church in Corinth looked just like the culture. Corinth was not watchful. They seemed to be home at home in Corinth rather than living as if the world is not their home. And I say all of this to encourage you with this tonight. I pray that we would be a people that take the encouragement to be watchful seriously. That we would be a watchful people because, listen to me, for too many of us, we have too much faith in ourselves and we think those famous words about our spiritual lives, we say to ourselves, that will never happen to me. And we don't realize that what is true in life in general is also true spiritually, and it is this. We tend to be less watchful when we are most comfortable. We tend to be less watchful when we are most comfortable. Let me explain, I'm going to give you a story. There's a group of men, they actually made a movie about this that um, has spent the last 30 years playing an uninterrupted game of tag. You might think, okay, kids play tag all the time. No, these were grown men. These are guys running around playing a game of tag for the last 30 years. I heard about that. My first inclination was, that's amazing. I want to do that. And then the competitor, in me, the competitor in me thought, I will never get tagged. I'm pretty aware of my surroundings. I keep my head on a swivel. You would not get me. But that's probably not true because these men did not care when they tagged one another. They waited until you were most comfortable, and then they did it. Here's one story. Uh, this is what I read about it. Mike Koneski, one of the guys, waited until 2, 2 a.m., And broke into the home where two other players lived. He did so by sneaking through the garage and finding an unlocked house door. He burst into Brian Dennehy's bedroom and quickly switched on the light. Brian's girlfriend, now wife, yelled, run! But there was nowhere for Brian to run. In seconds, he was it. So here's the thing. Brian realized something that is true about life in general, even in our spiritual lives. We are less watchful when we are most comfortable. For so many of us, man, we've grown so comfortable with life in our world, hear me today, that we are no longer on guard. And Paul is saying here to stay alert. Stay awake. He's, he's parroting even the words of Jesus in Matthew 26 when he's describing temptation. And he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to be on God here. But let me alleviate, I will address some of your concerns. For many of us, we think that phrase, to be on guard and to be watchful, for many of us, and we say well, that phrase seems so 1950s poly- polyester suit wearing, fundamentalist pastor speak. And when we hear it, we feel as if the person that is saying it is pretty much telling us to avoid all aspects of culture to reject all culture and to to, to run into our rooms and, and to hide from anything out there. But let me hear you today. When Paul says to be watchful, he's not saying that. God has given us as believers breath and life in this moment to display the kingdom of God in this world. And for people to do good works and for other people to glorify their father in heaven, we must do these things in culture, in public. But here's the issue. Many of us go to our extremes here. While, while we reject this mantra that we need to be apart from the culture, for many of us, we actually fall off the other side of the cliff. And what we do from culture, instead of rejecting everything, we uncritically receive everything. We fail to take seriously that what we are capable of in even just one unguarded moment. Guys, one unguarded moment can ruin relationships, ruin marriages, can hurt our witness, or even cause us to drift away. And Paul says in this text and in others, he says, take heed, be watchful, take heed lest ye fall. And hear me clearly, Paul doesn't say be watchful because he wants the church's posture towards the city to be one of suspicion see, Jesus is not calling us simply to look at the culture and have our arms crossed. He's telling us to be watchful because he wants to church his posture towards the world to be one of love. And hear me today, love is watchful. Love is watchful. What? Love is watchful. The love of God is watchful because nothing, we want nothing to come in and to snatch our affections away from the God that we serve. And the, one of the most loving things that we can do for the people of our city is to live in beautiful ways that are the gospel. Why is that? Because one of the worst things that we can do for our neighbor is to have a public life that doesn't match our public profession of faith. Let me do this, guys. I spent so long at this point. Let's keep moving. This relates to that. So NBC Arlington, we need to be watchful. But here's another one. NBC Arlington, as we move back to the city, we need to stand firm in our faith. I need to stand firm in my faith. That's what the next phrase says, stand firm in the faith. This is in the present tense. And what he's saying is that in this moment and the next moment and the next moment, Stand firm in the faith. Hold tightly to the gospel with all the things that are swirling around in the culture, with all the beliefs that, that, will, that, that, that can lead you astray, and all the enticing things that would take you away from your first love. Stay firm. And he says, early in, in light of people, he says earlier in light of the people denying the resurrection in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 15, something similar. He says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor. It's not in vain. You see, here's the thing. That statement, stand firm in your faith, is something that can be spoken to us as well today. Why do I say that? Because right now in our culture, we are living during a time in which deconstruction stories are incredibly popular. And if you hear that word deconstruction and you don't exactly know like how to define that term, I want to give you how one author puts it and I I think she's right. And we can put it on the screen. She says... Deconstruction is a process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way to atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. And let me tell you guys really quick, some of this is healthy. Like I know I grew up in a church in which for a variety of reasons, uh, I grew up believing that the consumption of alcohol was unqu- unqualifiably wrong, full stop. And I get why my pastor did it. I, I get what my pastor, why my pastor tried to express that, even though it was wrong. He had a history of alcoholism before he came to faith. We lived in a community that was ravaged by alcoholism and ravaged by single fathers, and he was trying to protect his church from that. But growing up, I realized, well, the Bible really doesn't say that, right? That was a that that was a belief I was handed, and you know, so to speak, deconstructed that belief and came out the other side with something different. Some of that is healthy, but some of it isn't. And we've seen so much of this on social media, and it's been prompted by a host of themes. For some, we've seen our spiritual heroes do some horrible things. For some of us, we've seen um, we've seen um, People pass down beliefs that were, at at worst, unhealthy, and at best, not exactly right. And the question I want to pose to you today is, what do we do when people who were instrumental in our faith fail us? So when things about Christianity we receive from other people are simply not true, how do we actually do what Paul says here to stand firm in our faith with some of the people that we've leaned on or some of the beliefs that we've stood on? proved unhelpful or untrue and i want to be sensitive because this is a hard season to be in and i wish i had so much more time than this and we're gonna we're actually going to continue this conversation within our church later but hear me today standing firm in the faith does not mean that you never have questions jude 22 actually says this to be patient with those who doubt Standing firm in the faith often seems like the opposite of doubt, but listen, I don't think that it is. I think the question that we're trying to think about when we have doubts, what does it mean to stand firm in the faith? It's all about this. is what, what do you do with your doubts? Let me explain. I love this fact about the Psalms. We've been going through the Psalms on Wednesday nights because we see in the psalmist people who have a lot of questions And even doubts. Think about this. The God of the universe, who gave us his inerrant word, put Psalm 88 in the Bible. If you don't know Psalm 88, the whole psalm is the psalmist questioning God in ways that feel a bit disrespectful. And what's crazy about the psalm is that there's no neat bow that he ties on it at the end. And it's crazy that these words are given to us as God's inerrant word. Do you ever wonder why? it seems counterintuitive that God would give us his word in a psalm that would paint him in a bad light. But hear me today. I think God gives us Psalm 88 in the Bible in order for God's people to have language to address him when it's hard to believe. See, we see the psalmist with a lot of questions, but the hard questions don't push him away from God. He's actually bold enough to bring those questions before God. And I think in many ways, when we doubt, I think a way to obey this command to stand firm in the faith is to bring your doubts to God. I love Psalm 88 because he's saying all this crazy stuff, he's actually addressing God with it. And it's a reminder of this fact that God can handle our hard questions. The question I have is when you are experiencing doubt, Will you pursue standing firm in the faith? Will you actually bring your doubts before the Lord, understanding that he has actually answers for them? He may not give it to you now. But he has answers for your doubts. And one of the ways that we bring our doubts before Jesus, it seems kind of intuitive in this environment, but it's so true. One of the ways that we bring our doubts before Jesus is by bringing them to Jesus' people. And all this to say, I want to encourage you, NBC, Arlington, we have to be a place where we are patient with the doubter. To love them and to gently point them back to truth. And before I even end this point about deconstruction, let me tell you today, in a day and age in which we are um, rapidly a post-Christian and secular culture, deconstruction isn't radical. Everybody's doing it. Everybody is questioning. Everybody is offering questions. Everybody is offering to tear down your faith and offering you nothing to build it back up. But the really countercultural thing in our culture is to accept Christianity. The really countercultural thing to, our do, no, to do in our culture is to follow the narrow path. That's the countercultural thing. But with that said, I want to move to the next point, NBC Arlington. What we have to do when we stand firm in the faith, I want to encourage you to be mature and strong. And we see all to be mature, courageous, and strong. Let me explain really quick, because I know some of y'all already saw that phrase, and you like, yo, what? What's going on here? Like, so look at the phrase. It says, act like men and be strong. In other ver- versions, you've got NIV. It actually says, be courageous. But that phrase, actually, act like men, is um, it's really one word in the Greek language and the ESV actually retains more of what it literally means. So what is he trying to say here? Is, is, is Paul some kind of misogynist? Well, he's not. Think about this, Paul is saying, act like men. Who's he writing to? He's not writing to just men. He's writing to the whole church. He's writing to the whole church, men and women, and in culture, shut this out where some believed that courage was more of a masculine virtue than a feminine one. He's, he's right into Corinth, which was a town in Greek, heavily influenced by the philosophers, and Aristotle was actually a figure um, who, 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 um, who believed that, that courage was more synonymous with maleness. And even the Greek language reflected an assumption in that phrase, act like men. But I love how theologian Lynn Kohik, she put it, Shut this out. She says, This verse is not making a particular point about masculinity. Rather, it reveals the limitations of the Greek language and the reality that Paul's culture assigned the virtue of courage to the realm of the man. The gospel, however, promotes a different vision. It calls men and women to, be, to, to stand fast and to be courageous. So Paul, in using this phrase and addressing the whole church, He's telling it men, women, it doesn't matter who you are, because you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you have what it takes to be courageous. That's what he's saying. And even in his text, when he uses the phrase, act like men, I'm gonna stop nerding out in a second. He's not doing this in opposition to femininity, he's actually saying act like men in opposition to childishness. He's responding to um, verses like in chapter three, he calls them infants rather than the mature. In verse in chapter 13, he says he's putting away childish things in order to be mature in Christ. Where am I going with all this? Here it is. We are not to be fickle people like kids. I got two kids at home. Every day, when I ask them what is their favorite color, it's a different color. What's your favorite cartoon? It's a different cartoon every day. They're just swayed by the people that they're around it's all because they hear somebody else doing something and they just do it. And listen, a mature courage and strength is standing on your convictions even when it gets uncomfortable. Hear me today. I want to bring it home to us. Arlington, our city and our neighbors and our coworkers need to see us hold on to our faith even when we are in the midst of challenge. Our city needs to be a, needs to experience a people who dare to hope when life is hopeless. Our city needs to see a people when, who love when the world seems so hateful, who follow Jesus as Lord when the world treats them as if he's irrelevant. And here's the thing. Can I say something here? For too many of us, we think that the first thing that our neighbor needs in Arlington is our apologetics. And apologetics are so necessary. I studied them in school. Apologetics are amazing. I love it. But what I've found in the city of Arlington is this. is that before my neighbor needs to hear my apologetics for the faith, they need to see my perseverance in the faith. Many of the people in our lives are actually just waiting on us. We can give them all the reasons all day. But what they're doing is waiting for us to live the Christian life in a compelling enough way for them to even entertain our reasons. We need to take courage. We need to be strong. We need to show that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. That last phrase, be strong. Some commentators say that the phrase be strong actually may be passive. So you may be able to render it be made strong. And if that's the case, it feels so true, right? Because so for so many of us, we think, how in the world am I supposed to stand firmly on these convictions, when it feels like everybody is against it? When I feel weak, when I don't know completely what I believe? I love that song that we sing, All I Have is Christ. And there's that phrase, it says in that song, the strength to follow God's commands could never come for me. Hear me today. We are not strong enough to stand firm in our faith on our own. Amy prayed for believers in Afghanistan. Believers in Afghanistan right now are not strong to stand firm in their faith on their own. But the beautiful enough thing in life is that they don't have to be strong enough because we are Christians today, not because we were strong enough to grab onto God, but because he reached down and he grabbed onto us. We are kept not because our hands are strong, but because we are in the hands of a strong master. I love how Paul puts it at the end of his life. Paul is at a point in his life in 2 Timothy that he needs courage. He's done all this work planting all these churches, and he is in a dark jail cell all alone. His friends, even the boys that he went around planting churches with, had deserted him. And I love what he says at the end of 2 Timothy. He says, They all deserted me, but what did he say? The Lord stood with me and gave me strength. And my prayer for you, as a people in this city, I said, You understand that the city needs to see us depend on God. The city needs to see us really display the beautiful and the, go- the beauty of the gospel. God does not calling us to display the beauty of the gospel by us trying to man up and be strong. No, he's calling on us to receive his strength. And I'm praying for you that you will get on your knees and declare to God, God, there is nothing in me that keeps me in the faith and bring others to the faith. I need your strength in order to be out in the world each and every single day. I trust you let me tell you today, listen, the reason why so many of us have so little courage and so little resolve to reach the city around us is because we fail to pray prayers of weakness like that. We fail to sit, get down on our knees and simply pray, God, I and myself, I don't know how to reach my coworker. I don't know how to reach my neighbor. God, I don't have it in me. I need your strength. When we pray prayers like that, God is sure to meet our weakness with his strength. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When we declare weakness, he gives strength. Be courageous. Be mature. Be strong in him. But last last but not least, NBC Arlington, I want to encourage you guys to do something as we move back to the city. It, it, It seems so simple, but it's not. We need to be a people that love We need to be a people that love. The band can come back up. See, I love this. Paul is writing to a church who in many ways love themselves more than one another. And we saw this in a text. We we saw them even using God-given spiritual gifts, not to serve one another, but to elevate themselves over and above one another. And Paul is saying this that the motivating impulse that you should have in our world and towards one another is not self, it's love. What is love? He declares it in 1 Corinthians 13. We read it before. He says, love is patient. It said everybody in their mom's wedding, re- read this verse. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy and boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let me tell you today, guys, in our city and around our world right now, one of the most countercultural things that you can do is to be a loving people in a world with so much strife and anger. It's one of the most countercultural things that you can do right now. A recent poll poll said this, that 84% of Americans say that they are angrier today than a generation ago. Another poll found that Americans were angrier in 2018, I don't know about 2018, but 2018, than any other point in the last decade. And I wonder if this is recent, because in 2021, it seems like it has 2018 beat. And a lot of this, honestly, I'm going to bring it really home to us as the band comes out. A lot of this is because we are aware of so many things in the world that we can be angry about. And we're all on social media. We get the daily drip of news. And we we hear crises happening across the world and across the country. And all this stuff happening with COVID. And mask and no mask. And all these reasons to be mad and angry with one another. And we're inundated with all these things that we can do nothing about but be angry. And for our lives, we need to do something. We need, for many of us, we're more shaped by social media and the news rather than practices that form with us, that, that form us into people who are loving. Y'all don't realize that social media, man, and the news are built to provoke st- extreme emotions within us, and we need to be more shaped by prayer and the word and community. We need to model what it looks like as the people of God in Arlington. How are we gonna be a calm, loving presence in a, in, in a city of outrage? And I love how one uh, theologian put it, and I'll put it on the screen. He says, The real strength of a good soldier of Jesus Christ is simply the steadfast maintenance of a holy calmness. Sustained amidst all the storms, injuries, wrong behavior, and unexpected acts and events in this evil and unreasonable world. The scripture seems to intimate that true fortitude consists Sheeply of this, hear this, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his spirit than he that takes a city. Guys, one of the most uh, formative spiritual practices that you can do is honestly to take a break from social media. I ain't saying you got to be off it forever. But for so many of us, our emotions are whipped up in a frenzy by what is most before our eyes. And for too many of us, we're putting before our eyes the world of social media before we put before our eyes the words of the God who made us. And you may think, yo, like, I might be uninformed if I do that. Hear me today. There are worse things than being uninformed. To paraphrase Jesus, it would be a shame that you gained the whole world of information and lost your soul. Take a break. Man, break your addiction to social media. Break your addiction to Fox News and CNN. Give time in your life to practice silence and to give space for God to speak to us apart from all the buzzing of current events. Our city desperately needs to see a people who are not tossed and fro by the next news headline, but stand firm in the faith and understand come what may spirit is inside of me, heaven's ahead of me, and I am secure in the love of God. That's what the city needs to see. The city needs to peer into the walls of the church and see a people who aren't whipped up by the last news news headlines, but are whipped up in the frenzy to love one another well. Let me take a moment to pray, and then we're going to take a moment to take communion together. Let's pray together. Father, will you help us? May we be a people that are watchful. We know that our enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking who to devour. And you said in your work to stand firm in our faith. Help us to be watchful. Help us to keep our heads on a swivel because we love you and we love our world and we want to display the beauty of your gospel. Help us to stand firm in our faith. And our world has become fashionable to question everything. But Father, I pray that we will bring our questions to you, ready to receive whatever comes from your good and sovereign hands. Father, I pray that we will be a people who are mature, courageous, and strong. And we will stand on our convictions, come what may, because of all that you've done with it, all, all that you've done for us and what you will give us in the future. I pray that for the church in Afghanistan, help them to stand firm in their faith. Help them be sure, courageous, and strong in the midst of intense persecution. And may they teach us what that looks like. And above all else, may we be a people of love. May we love one another because you've loved us dearly. We need you, God. Help us to stop coming to gatherings like this. And our first impulse is who will love me? It's about me. I mean, our first impulse is to know that like, no, we've been loved by God and what you're calling me to do is to reach out and to reach somebody, reach out to love somebody, reach out to care for somebody. Would you make us into a church that the world can't help but see you? And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen.